Hey everybody, this is Turner, your Dungeon Master and Voice of Announcements for the Gimme the Loot podcast. Just popping in here with a feed drop for The Hunter's Party, a bonus podcast we'll be doing for Patreon supporters. We wanted to go ahead and drop the premiere episode in our main feed so everybody could get a listen of what we'll be doing on the show. In addition to the podcast, we'll be doing a write-up of the homebrew version of the monster character or encounter and posting that to the Patreon feed as well. So if you like what you hear and you'd like to hear more, head on over to patreon.com forward slash gmdlcast to check out our levels and to support. As always, we appreciate you listening. Enjoy. everybody welcome to the premiere episode of the hunter's party name potentially to be changed later the supernatural rewatch review and dndification podcast brought to you by the members of the gimme to loot podcast the dungeons and dragons fifth edition actual play podcast that has a patreon now joining me for this particular episode are Jamie. Hey, I'm Jamie. I play Eldrin Tineros on Gimme the Loot, and I also uh, do some video game podcasting with the Three Angry Gamers. Also joining us is Jazz. Hey, this is Jazz. I play Fade on Gimme the Loot. Um, I may or may not have accidentally came up with the title for the podcast, and also uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at ETXJASAN. That's a weird fucking flex, but okay. And then Anthony? <laughs> Uh, my name is Anthony. I play Baba the Barbarian, and these are my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us for, for these episodes, and a gentleman who will pop up in the Tournament of Champions content once we start recording that, is Tony. Tony is one of the members of the Friends and Flayers podcast and is really responsible for all of our podcasts because if he hadn't invited me to be in Friends and Flayers over a year ago, I never would have started back into the D&D world, let alone the D&D podcasting realm. Tony is going to be with us for this podcast. And then, like I said, he's going to pop in the Tournament of Champions when we get that going. Tony, say hello. Hello. The genesis of this podcast is we were talking about the finale of Supernatural in a show lead-in. It kind of came out that Jazz had never really watched all the way through it, which is kind of a shame because Supernatural is a great show for five seasons and an entertaining show for another 10 but also it had some elements which kind of cross over into and the dnd realm so we wanted to get an opportunity to kind of go back through the shows and get some feedback from people who haven't already experienced it tony i don't think has watched the entire series andrew if he ever pops in hasn't experienced it and, and jazz is pretty new to it jamie i know you've you've pretty much watched the whole thing and closed it out now right I I'm I'm pretty much towards the end, but I have not watched the final three or so seasons. OK. So. Uh, and then, Anthony, where where what's your experience with with Supernatural? Oh, I'm done. OK, cool. Cool. Yeah, cool. yeah. All the way you're, down. you're the other person then who knows what we're talking about. So uh, yeah. Supernatural is, I, I don't know, if not one of the longest running TV shows, uh, it cranked out 15 seasons, 327 episodes. Started in 2005 uh, on the WB. Man. 
Yeah, which bef- and was on uh, was one of the I think one of the first shows that came out there is certainly if not the starting ground for a lot of different people's careers, but definitely a launching point for a lot of people as we'll see who who guest stars on them. So we're going to start with the pilot episode and then just kind of work our way forward. What we're going to do is we will do a. Uh, We'll announce which episode we're talking about, hit on any particular guest stars of note, which appear in the episode, run through a quick recap, and then wrap up with a and dification of the monster of the week or a potential scenario or NPC or, or something that we can turn into a D&D asset for your campaign. So cool. Let's go ahead and get started. Starting off with the pilot episode, charmingly titled Pilot. Some guest stars of note that appeared on this were Derek Webster, who plays a cop on the bridge, who apparently is in 9-11 Lone Star, In the Dark, popped up as a Romulan in Picard, was on NCIS New Orleans and Ray Donovan. Jamil Walker-Smith, who was in Stargate Universe and was a voice on Hey Arnold. And then, and I'm going to totally butcher this name, Sarah Shahi? Probably right. Yes. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, there we go. Sarah Shai has been in a ton of stuff. Obviously, she was on the L Word, the L Word, L Word alias, Life. She voiced Killer Frost in Young Justice, Fairly Legal. She was fantastic on Person of Interest, has been on Chicago Fire, The Rookie, and Sex Slash Life. And then you have Adrian, again, another name I'm going to fuck up, Adrian Palicki. Palicki? I believe it's Palicki sounds right. Palicki, yeah. Palicki. And I I will look up the phonetic pronunciations of these names in the future as a good host would. <laughs> Who is, of course, done a ton of genre stuff as on the Orville, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Friday Night Lights. But then also, I didn't know she had a trifecta of DC stuff. She was in the Aquaman pilot, had a Wonder Woman pilot, neither of which were picked up, and then was also on Smallville. So she managed to very early on hit a lot of layers of the DC universe. And Tony, you were saying that she is married to one of the other actors on the Orville? Yeah. Uh, Scott Grimes, who also does the voice of Steve Smith. Um, yeah, they've been married since 2019. Scott is definitely punching up yeah. in that particular situation. Yeah, I think so. According to her Wikipedia, they fi- she filed for divorce two months after they got married, though. So they might oh, not be. They might not still be married. But I, I thought I saw married. on her Instagram that they were still together. Maybe not. It says married on May nineteenth. Two months later, filed for divorce mid November of that year, twenty nineteen. Judge said uh, they would dismiss the filing. So then she did filed again for divorce last year. Apparently, I don't wow. know. Wow. Well, Messy. Steve Smith. Can't catch a break of Steve Smith. Can't catch a break of Scott Grimes. Yeah, that is that is a that is a lot of that is a lot more drama than I think we were uh, we were expecting at a at a one little guest star intro. But yeah, she she plays Sam's girlfriend Jess in this and will pop up throughout throughout uh-huh. the series. So okay, cool. Jumping over to a quick recap. And again, guys, just speak up here as you've got comments. We open in the past in the Winchester family home with them putting the kids to bed. We meet the Winchester family, Mary, John, Dean, and Sam. Mary wakes up in the middle of the night, checks on Sam, assumes that the figure in the nursery is John, goes downstairs, sees John asleep, and then runs back upstairs. There's then a scream which wakes John up. 
who runs upstairs to check on Sam. We get a very horror movie-esque scene here where everything seems okay until blood drips down from the ceiling, where John looks up and sees Mary's bleeding body, which then bursts into flames. Mm. Dean carries Sam out of the house and runs down, and we close on a, on a grief-stricken John. So I had two things that were uh, of note with this scene. One was that Jeffrey Dean Morgan is super young here. And I was so used to him looking like uh, Negan in The Walking Dead, where he's got the grizzled beard. and He looks like he's like pushing 50 uh, as opposed to here, where he looks like he might just have passed 30. I don't know. He just looks super young to me. Um, and then the other thing that really bothered me about this scene is the age discrepancy between Sam and Dean just seemed really off because apparently they're only four years apart. But the kid who is playing Dean in the opening looks like he's probably about like seven or eight years old. Like it just seemed very odd to me. <laughs> yeah, I've always thought that, too. I've, I've, I haven't watched a lot of Supernatural, but I have seen the first few episodes of season one. And that always struck me as odd that he looked so much older. Yeah, he's like carrying the kid outside. Just, right. Yeah, it just did not seem like the right age for that. Maybe they just didn't think it through at that time. Especially to be carrying another child and probably yeah. have the weight downstairs. Take mm -hmm. your son, take your brother outside like as a four-year-old, which is what he looks like he would be if it was a accurate age uh, gap. Uh, it does not seem like something you'd ask a four-year-old to do. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's probably just something they fixed. Like the the pilot is just like, all right, stick For it together, sure. and then they're like, okay, well we need them to be closer in age because right. yeah. to, to kind of have similar experiences. And yeah. Yeah. According to this, according to the wiki, Dean was born in 79. Sam was born in 83. So even if you're moving at the opposite end of those years, it, but yeah, that, it, that is asking a lot, even especially under panicked fire conditions. <laughs> One other thing that kind of stands out in this scene is this is really the first case where we see the flickering lights mm -hmm. as the, what will be the tell telltale cue of demonic or ghost presence in the series. So they established that shit right from the very beginning that, hey, flickering lights, something, something's up. And it's something that they go back. That and the cloud of misty breath become the two kind of telegraphs that a ghost is about to show up future in the series. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Jeffrey D. Morgan. He originally, they were originally going to recast him after, after the pilot. And he, you know, he lobbied to stay in the role he wanted to kind of stay in it and i i'd forgotten how much he was in the first season i thought he right. just kind of popped in every now and again but he he was in this a lot more than i originally thought they cool. had to go do Watchmen. yeah you know yeah yeah <laughs> i really like him as an actor but i get the feeling that his he they opt to try to cast him out a lot of things <laughs> you know I, I i think he may have a bad rap just he's really good when he is in it, but when he's just, I don't know, there's something about him that when he's not really there, he's just, eh, he does, he does kind of give off that, hey, behind the scenes kind of drama vibe of an actor a little bit. But that is, that is completely, completely anecdotal. He is from Seattle after oh, all. There you go. All right. So now we, t we time jump forward with Sam's girlfriend in a nurse's costume, urging him to get up and go to a Halloween party. Drinks are had while we hear about Sam's LSAT score. We find out he has an interview on Monday. 
and that he's got a strained relationship with his family. Enter Dean. He pops up. They tussle a little bit. The girlfriend is introduced, as is Sam's disdain for his dad. Dean drops the term hunting trip during the discussion, and we start to get a little bit more world-building. Poltergeists and Devil's Gates are name-dropped. We get the backstory about growing up hunting, down their mom's killer, weapons training and melting silver, etc. gets brought up. Uh, we find out uh, Sam leaving to go to college appears to be the cause for the, the split and the kind of the rift in the family. Dean lays out that their dad has been missing and the job is surrounding a rash of male disappearances. They listen to a phone message from their dad and EVP on the cell phone of a woman saying she can never go home. Sam then lies to his girlfriend and heads off with Dean to go try and find their dad. Sam's ability to pick up the EVP just from listening to it was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, uh, he's like, there's EVP on that. Like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I just want to, as a rookie coming into this, basically what I did is as I was going through the episode and making notes, all of my notes are D&D references. No, dude, bring it. So bring it. Yeah. Just, just to back up and trying to catch up to where we are, the one note I made was that on that opening sequence, uh, the mom completely failed a perception, maybe investigation check whenever she was checking the crib <laughs> to see what the hell was going on right there. Uh, whenever she went to go check on Sam in the crib. Mm, crit fail. <laughs> that is an absolute perception check fail. Yeah. Perception yeah. check. Fail. So, um, and then the next note I had was that during the, uh, you know, the meeting, the girlfriend Dean showing up, they had that unarmed combat that ended in a grapple, uh, check that, you know, uh, Dean won. And then, you know, I guess Sam broke back out with the strength check after to, you know, show that he's not all as rusty as Dean thought he was. Um, and then I thought on that note where, um, Dean was talking about the hunting trip. I immediately characterized that as thieves can't. So they're both rogues. <laughs> but at some point we will do the classes for them, but I do think we got to wait a little bit not to spoil any stuff of, Oh no, they, they would definitely both be multi-class, but mm. what they would multi-class as I think is a little spoilery. So, all right. Well, the couple of beats I had on this was of course, Sam doesn't fucking like Halloween. Right. I mean, that's that just, of course he wouldn't. It's interesting how the dynamic changed a little bit, because, I mean, very early on, it feels like they wanted Sam to be the hero of the story. But right around season three, you're like, oh, no, Sam's kind of a douche. Dean is clearly the, <laughs> yeah. the, hero, <laughs> the hero. And it never really pivots back the other way. But early on, the dynamic is, is definitely, definitely a little bit different. The other thing that I, because I had to I talk about doing your homework, Jazz, she was like, oh, Sam's LSAT score. He got a 174. I'm like, well, what? Out of what? Yeah. Are you just assuming we all know, for the record, he got a one? I'm glad I'm not the only one <laughs> that didn't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> right, right. Yes. For the record, 174 out of 180. So oh, it was six a, points off. That's yeah. Well, they, but they, but they do that. They have the the other friend play the dumb guy. He's like, is that good? She's like, it's, yeah. yeah. Like they, they, they do that for you. Like they just yeah. let you know. No, no, he does. <laughs> he, he, no, to be clear, you're absolutely right. They do have that dude, which is actually the, uh, the Jameel Walker Smith dude who ends up going on to Stargate Universe and doing a voice in Hey Arnold for a number of years. But I can't just if you're going to tell me 174, let me know what the scale is. I that's where my brain went. I was like, <laughs> but I know. think a lot of those tests are like that. I think the MCAT's like that, where you really when you speak about what you got, 
you don't really say out of what, like even like the SATs, mm-hmm. like you really just, you just say you got a 1400 or whatever. Like nobody says out of what, like, I think that's just how the common talk for those scores. No, you're absolutely right. That would be, that would be a little bit awkward, but it drove me crazy. It drove me crazy enough that I had to look it up to know what the contact is. What was context. cool to me though, or what was fun to me though, is like during that conversation they have uh, right around after that LSAT score, I was just, since we were like kind of D and D, I was like, man, like they're doing some great DM in here because they completely forebode what happens with Jess. Cause she's like, mm-hmm. Oh, she's like, yeah, you're going to knock them dead tomorrow. And then she's <laughs> like, and he's like, uh, what would I do without you? She's like, crash and crash burn. And burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, man, this what? DM is foreboding real hard right now. <laughs> My favorite line out of this whole kind of, kind of scene, scene setting is when, when they're talking about, Sam's relationship with his dad and being like, Hey, when I told him I was afraid of the thing in my closet when I was nine, he gave me a, you know, he gave me a 45 and Dean's like, well, you know, what was he supposed to do? Tell you not to be afraid of the dark. Are you fucking kidding me? Of course you should be afraid of the dark. You know what's out there. Like just, just the nonsense. Of course you should be fucking like the, you know, these guys who have a weird Kung Fu fight, you know, there's a total, uh, to, to date myself, there's a Cato jumping in on a Clouseau moment. Where he and they, you know, go out of their way to show that these guys aren't just, you know, wrestling, that there's fuck, they know fucking kung fu. But I thought that was a really cool line of, of course, you should be fucking afraid of the dark. You know what's out there. Right. Whereas the we were raised like warriors was a little bit of a cheesier, cheesier element of that. Yeah. Dramatic much, Sam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is where we see the trunk arsenal for the first time, too, where he opens up the trunk of the. The Impala is it? It is an Impala, right? Am I totally blanking on the? Yes. Yeah, the Impala. Yes, that's correct. And which the coolest thing about that trunk arsenal to me was always the fact that they used a sawed-off shotgun to prop it open. Like that is the <laughs> that is the kickstand for the the trunk arsenal. Well, so you know the uh, the Chevy Impala, sixty-seven Chevy Impala, was known for its weak hood uh, hinges. So you know you had to have something to prop it up. Is this is this true? Is that a thing? <laughs> Uh, it might be. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> that was said with enough confidence. I believed you. <laughs> he sold me on it. He sold me. Persuasion passed. <laughs> <laughs> what I would, I would fucking a. We got a car guy in this motherfucker. Tony will be the Impala man for the rest of the series. Good job. Sold. <laughs> Uh, but so seriously, I did read uh, somewhere. I don't remember where, but the uh, so they wanted to make the car a character, right? Yeah, as part of their team, and it is kind of it's kind of modeled after it got its inspiration. Uh, Eric Krippy got the inspiration for the car from Knight Rider. Yeah, so I always thought that was kind of cool. Hmm. Yeah, they definitely lean into the car, and it does it does have a role as as a character in a couple episodes later in the series. It, that car seen some shit. It has. It has <laughs> yeah. been through some <laughs> shit. The other thing that struck me apart struck me during this is the the comment of "Hey, it's been two years since I've seen you," and it just that was I was like, wait a minute, okay, if him going to college is what caused them to fall apart. And now he's getting ready to go to law school. Like what, ha- you know, the, the first two years they were cool. It just, it was a weird. Well, yeah, they did grow up in Lawrence, Kansas, mm-hmm. and there is KU. So maybe he went to school at KU, transferred out to California to go to law school. There you go. We'll just, we'll just write, we'll just write this for them. 
This is the only <laughs> episode that was actually shot in L.A. All of the other episodes were shot in Canada. Canada. This is the one that is in isn't in L.A. And even going back to earlier versions of it had uh, had John dying and Sam suspecting Dean as the killer. They ran through some scenarios where there was where it was originally more that Sam was a skeptic, but that just kind of felt kind of weird. So they kind of bailed on that pretty quickly. They originally pitched Supernatural as uh, as a, you know, a Supernatural Star Wars with Sam as Luke and Dean as Han. And then they they also had an original concept of a reporter going to, had him set up as reporters going to investigate urban legends and writing about them in his call, kind of a Kolchak the Night Stalker kind of scenario before Mm -hmm. it kind of came into the, to the Dean and the Hunters. So if we cut to a dude driving in his car, chatting with his girlfriend on the phone, he stops to pick up a woman in white who asks him to take her home. He comments on her looking weird. She flashes some leg and asks him to come home with her. Dude's like, hell yeah, and peels out. Uh, arriving in an old abandoned house, the guy gets creeped out and says she can, lady says she can never go home and disappears. He gets out of his car to find her and then gets spooked by a bird and peels out. She pops back up in his back seat. He crashes into a closed bridge sign. And then we see blood spatter on the car windows. I am... Just disappointed that this guy was so quick to like, oh, man, I'm taking this girl home. And then like a bird is all that it took to to just be like, no, I'm out of here. Well, the house was kind of scary and she did disappear. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But like it was like a bird flew out the door and he's like, I'm gone. I'm fuck the bird. I don't need to be here. Like just (laughs) what what was what's really cool. Like what? really hit home for me for like this episode is the fact that Dallas, I, I, I live in Dallas and Dallas actually has a woman in white lo- local legend. Yeah. yeah. Like, and so I don't know this, this one just always really kind of hit home for me. Just kind of the fact that like this local legend exists for me. Like it's a oh. thing. <laughs> oh man. As, as somebody who went to high school in East Texas and has spent a phenomenal amount of time cruising back roads at night or in small cemeteries or at Kilo National Monument, which is the, one of the creepiest fucking places around. There's a lot that they tap into kind of on the, the urban legend kind of country ghost stuff that is is very, very accurate. And there's a lot of depiction of kind of small town of this that really plays well, like the little kind of small, small town main street that you see kind of later on in the episodes looks like a lot of towns that you would drive through. Yeah. Going up to East Texas. Thanks. And those kind of ram, kind of those not not ramshackle, but those older kind of aged houses as well. You see them, you'll see them all over the side of the road, and they're creepy as fuck, man. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things stuck out for me. One, he picks her up. Her dress is <laughs> yes. It's like it was weird enough that he asked her, "Hey, are you coming back from a Halloween party?" Right. But it, but it also looks like they decided, okay, let's. Let's because it's got a, it's not spooky enough to be like, OK, this this chick's a dead lady. Like it's got a couple of holes poked in it. Otherwise, it just looks like, OK, this she's wearing a corset. Right. I, so it seems it seems like they couldn't figure out how how spooky they wanted to make her look initially. And then the other note I have on this is the closed bridge sign <laughs> that he drives through is straight the fuck out of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what. 
what the problem was that they couldn't afford some orange cones in this town, but it is literally a wooden sign with closed bridge fucking painted up, <laughs> spray painted on it. I was like, oh God, that's, that is a public health hazard. <laughs> no. We, we then cut to Sam and Dean gassing up and we get the establishment of the uh, credit card fraud being the primary funding of Dean and his dad's hunting operation. They arrive on the scene of our victim's accident. Dean pulls out his fake badge. They pose as marshals until to go over the to go over the crime scene before they eventually get called out. And then the the body is established as missing, as is Dean's disdain for law enforcement. I was disappointed that we didn't get a fake uh, name for the, the the marshals in this episode. I thought it started like in the beginning, but I guess they didn't do that at first. Dean drops his fake name as Eddie Van Halen later in the episode. But yeah, they're the, the creative naming of their their alter egos doesn't doesn't really happen and I think until episode two. Yeah, I I know he like had a, a part like later on where he says he's Ted Nugent or something like yeah, that. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was that was the one I saw. Every time I, I see them pull up that a badge and flash it and come up with a name, all I can think of is Jim Belushi in the Blues Brothers, <laughs> Jacob Stein, Music Veter- Music Federation. <laughs> you know, just pack of cigarettes, flash it, come up with a fake name and a and an agency, you're done. There is an episode. I think in season three where Hunter goes, yeah, we're on a mission from God. I'm like, there's only one way that <laughs> phrase can be said. And that is not the way to <laughs> say, not it. Way you say it. Uh, you know, the, the there, so there are two things that I, I, I tagged on this one when I went, cause I, I kind of scouted out this, that not only watched this episode for the recap, but then kind of scouted out the next couple of seasons forward to kind of plan out the, the, the format for the podcast. And when I was listening, going through the first and second season, like, man, I don't remember the music being this shitty on this show. And there's even, you know, when they're at the gas station talking about updating Dean's cassette collection and he's making fun of Metallica and he puts in that tape after talking about Metallica and they drive off. I didn't realize until afterwards that this is all different music from the original broadcast because of streaming licensing. This is like, so there's net, the music you hear in a number of episodes on Netflix is not the same. Like in the original broadcast, when he pops in that tape back in black plays and they pull out of the gas station, this, you get some, some can, I think Canadian rock band that I was like, I don't, I don't remember the music being this CW Yeah, because it, yeah, it's pretty rough for the, for the first, and it, and you know, I mean, again, it makes sense. And I just had never thought about it, but yeah, clearly there are shows that, when they are being rebroadcast in streaming, don't have the licensing for the original music or the original soundtrack that they used. And so now they're subbing in like Creative Commons or B-roll music. And it really has a fucking impact here. Does that mean that they don't use Wayward Son on the on the season finale episodes? Because oh, if they don't do, do that, I mean, that's that's fucked yeah. up. <laughs> oh, so, so Netflix doesn't have the money to license this music the cw does well (laughs) i'm saying that cw probably doesn't well when they licensed it to netflix you know since it's their show that they're broadcasting on netflix and 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 believe me i this is a whole wormhole i started to go down like wait what because it was you go down a rabbit hole no i know i I don't see that happen no that'll never happen the uh, no, I mean, because this isn't even the worst instance of it. There are some in later episodes. You're like, I do not remember 
the Dawson's Creek interstitial <laughs> in this fucking ghost hunt. But I do want to wait because my God, um, yeah. It, 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 so well, yeah. that's a deep cut. Thank you, thank you very much. Also, you know there are in all the least cop-looking moments that they have. This is the least cop-looking these fucking guys will ever get. Like, and I, and I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, yeah. we're U.S. Marshals in our early twenties in in fucking uh, uh, that, that we looked like we just walked out of American Eagle. Yeah, our American Outfitters. Yeah, that was <laughs> not. They are not pulling that one off. Just yeah. goes to show you how easy it is to fool small town cops. I guess. Yeah, I, I think at that point I noted that uh, you find out at this point that Dean is proficient in deception when he talks to the cops. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> And then, um, oh yeah, and I noted that every NPC in this is dumb. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Dean's persuasion skills are off the chart. I mean, yeah, he's got ridiculous persuasion, charisma. Yeah, he, yeah Dean's charisma, I think, is 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 well said. Now, but they, but they also swing wildly. I think I think he he he, he either succeeds. Or fails miserably. There's no in between for, I mean, for Dean. You know, for every twenty, there's a one, right? Yeah, true that. My next note was that he actually is not proficient. He's got expertise in deception because of when he goes to talk to. I don't know if we've hit that point yet. When he goes to talk to the ex-girlfriend of the last victim. Yeah, that's our next scene. So we oh. jump forward to Sam and Dean interviewing the girlfriend. Uh, she tells the story about the woman in white. The two brothers head over to the library for research. They find out the ghost is a woman named Constance who accidentally drowned her kids and then committed suicide. They find out she jumped off the same bridge the dude died on in his car earlier. So they head back to the bridge. Sam doubles down on going back to law school and being normal when, the, when this particular hunt is over. Our ghost makes an appearance and then takes over the car and tries to run the guys down. The bros escape by jumping off the bridge. Sam hangs on while Dean falls into the river. Yeah, so... I know it's established like in later seasons that the car has some uh, stuff in the car to keep things from doing what it did in this episode. But like, did, did did they not have wards in the car? Like there was no symbols or anything to keep the ghost from just getting in there and driving it at this point. It's they don't. And that's one of the things that was actually kind of interesting as I went back and go the rest. Because if you've been watching this thing for 15 seasons, by the end of this, you're so it's so old hat. Yeah, they, they bust out so so much shit on the regular that it is weird to go back and see these guys that you've been watching for fucking 15 years all of a sudden be rookies again but they they really you really realize how much they are as you kind of go back into the rewatch so the devil's trap and the warding on the car happens the first season but it doesn't it doesn't and even even the next two or three episodes there's stuff that they're still kind of figuring out about demons and and different and different creatures that again if you've been a regular watcher of the show like, oh wait, that's right. When they were, they were level one once. They, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I noted here that when they almost got ran over by the car, they both had to make a deck save to not die, um, and that they both passed. Dean just barely, which is why he falls out into the river. But Sam crit passed his, so that's why he got to hang on to the side of the bridge and not end up in the shit. That's accurate. <laughs> so, according to the trivia, they were, they were both originally supposed to go in the river. But due to a mistake, they only had enough wardrobe for one of them to get muddy. And they picked <laughs> Dean for it. 
That's funny. Now that's the CW I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah, that is. Ford, <laughs> we, they, they spent all their money on Michigan J. Frog animations that week. And so, yeah, they only had enough wardrobe for one of the brothers to get muddy. Did you just drop a Michigan J. Frog? Oh, yeah. Hello, my darling. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. I'm fucking old, dude. I'm the WB. <laughs> Oh my god, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Also, could that have been the most poorly fucking lit library ever? I mean, I understand that it's supposed to be dark in li- or are supposed to be quiet in libraries. I didn't realize it was also supposed to be ridiculously dark. We don't want you to find our books, is what they were saying. Mm. Mm. It was at what point? I was like, are the windows black? Because at first I, I, I went, oh. This is an internet cafe. This is how old this fucking show is. And then I went, oh, no, 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 wait. This is a library. It's just fucking the dankest lit library ever. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, it's just, you know, it's an old town. It's got an old library. They didn't think about that shit when they were building it. And I don't I don't think that's an iMac that they're on, but it's definitely, again, the joys of going back and watching a show <laughs> that started in 2005. <laughs> it's either an Apple IIc or... Or an iMac. Yeah. We'll be going through a lot of different flip phones and early technology as we kind of go back through this. <laughs> the guys, uh, so Sam and Dean make it out of that encounter. Dean emerges from the river quite muddy. They go check into their hotel where the they discover their dad was also checked in there thanks to the credit card name. They break into their dad's unit. We see here's where the first time we see salt is established as a barrier to keep out ghosts. They discover the uh, same content article that they found at the library and see it's tagged as a woman in white. This is also where we learn that a cure for hauntings is destroying the corpse of the ghost. They decide to go track down the ghost's husband. Dean goes out to grab a snack while Sam calls his girlfriend and Dean gets pinched by the cops. So we all know that Jensen Eggleston and Jared Pratt here from Texas, right? So the guy they go visit... The husband, Steve Railsback, is also from Texas. Huh. He is also a pretty prolific working kind of bit part. That guy, actor. yeah, he's yeah. he's one of those, oh, it's that guy. Yeah, <laughs> kind of actors. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't include him in the notable guest stars because there was all it's all one episode deals. I'm trying to limit the notable guest stars to people who have been either in genre stuff or so, but that was the guy that I went, God, he's just he's been in a ton of stuff. The note I've got here is this is some this is some primo murder wall done uh that the guys walk into with the uh with the setup in their dad's hotel room with the amount of shit that he's got hanging up on the wall which brought to the question like okay so he rented out the room for a month but we figure he was only here for like a week or two right right that's a lot of shit to hang up in your hotel room yeah. over just a couple of so days man with focus and drive i mean i've traveled for work <laughs> and set up an office in a hotel but i mean you know <laughs> that is some walls with some wallpaper wallpapering this is also the ease with which the crew reuses hotel sets in this show over time where they take the same hotel room and dress it up 30,000 different ways is really refreshing. This one is, I, I don't think we see one quite like this again for quite some time. Dean's at the cop shop. The cops discuss him being a suspect. They produce the dad's journal. Dean flips through a note where he's got his name and a, a number 35 111. 
We cut to Sam then interviewing the husband. The husband details where Constance is buried, being at the old home, and that he wouldn't live in the house where his kids died. Uh, Sam questions the husband and then brings up the ghost to pressure him into admitting their marriage had issues. We learn that the woman in white is a cursed spirit hunting for unfaithful men and murdering them. The husband cops to cheating and then gets angry and kicks Sam out. And the, the note I had here is that dude does a great job portraying small town <laughs> kind of traumatized dude. Like that guy is that bears a resemblance to quite a few people you would see at a feed store. In oh, East Texas. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's got that weathered, wrinkled yeah. look. You know, you just, and, and the thousand mile stare. I, I was just going to say, like, I don't know how that dude pulled that chick because she was much more attractive than he was. Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, way out of the league. Yeah. Hey, you're, for sure. you're, compar- you're comparing a ghost that doesn't age. <laughs> To a man who lost his kids and wife. For how long like, has it been? It's thirty only years been, ago. Twenty was it years. Thirty ago. years. They said yeah, twenty years. Thirty years. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so when they said the date of like when this happened, I think they said it's like nineteen eighty something, right? Like I yeah. totally thought that that was the that was the the year the woman was born, and I was like, man, she was only like twenty four. This has only been going on for like a year. Like, how is this a legend? And then I realized I'm <laughs> stupid and I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, yeah. 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 they got married. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think even if you de-age and de-traumatize this guy, he was still punching up. I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not not only the the ghost a little bit out of his league, but he was then stepping out on her enough to drive her crazy. So, yeah, this guy, uh, this guy is a piece of work. <laughs> we cut back to the cop shop. Dean is left alone with a journal and he uses a paperclip to escape handcuffs, which is seems like a like a real design flaw with handcuffs if, if that's all it takes to get out he's proficient with thieves tools man there you go done Imp- in and out Imp- improvised thieves tools yeah <laughs> he took expertise in thieves tools <laughs> he's just got all the bubbles filled in on that character sheet yeah <laughs> i'm telling you you definitely rolled this character <laughs> got, a, got a couple 18s for a level one yeah <laughs> Well, I don't think I, do, I don't think we would call them level one here. I do think we would call them probably level two or level three. Two or three, yeah, yeah that's probably yeah. fair. The uh, we we Sam calls Dean. We get a ghost download. We learn that the uh, the note and the journal is a coded message with coordinates for the boys to head out to. Constance shows up in the car and kidnaps Sam. She takes Sam back to her place. Uh, he clocks that she's afraid of the house. He points out that he's not a cheater. And she says that he will be and then starts to ghost fist him. Mm. Dean shows up and shoots her. Sam drives the car into the house. The ghost kids come out and pull her to hell? Question mark. And then Sam (laughs) calls Dean out on shooting the ghost. It was Hell's Toilet, clearly. (laughs) There was definitely a drain noise effect at the end of that. And I was like, really? I did think that the like the pulling them down to hell effect wasn't terrible for a CW show. And, I, and you know, one of the things that kind of struck me as I went back and rewatched the first and second seasons, especially as I with the comparison to later seasons, it, it was gorier than I remember mm. and a, a little bit more a little bit more graphic than I remember from from later seasons for sure. 
so I've got like a whole sequence of notes for this little stuff that happens in this part here. So like what I realized after I got this far in was that like the, the monster hunt was actually not part of the main plot. Like there's like a sub, like there's like a main plot where they're looking for the dad. And then yeah. like the, the ghost is like the subplot for this particular episode. So I was like, okay. Right. So what my note here was that the subplot monster threatens to derail the entire campaign with the main character death. <laughs> uh, however, Sam passed his wisdom save versus the ghost uh, charm effect and took non-lethal necrotic damage with the fisting <laughs> in the chest. <laughs> yes, that was that was, wither, that was withering touch. She clearly she's a five e ghost. Like, yeah, it's, 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 we're, we're, we're going to get into that in just a minute because I do I do I do have some interesting oh, points on. We're, that. we're ahead yeah. of no, ourselves. No, no, no worries. Yeah. And so um, then I was like, like any real D and D player, Sam does some dumb shit that should have got him killed, but the character and killed that should have got his character killed but accidentally solved the puzzle and claims it was all intentional i I think Mm -hmm. just because that's the way that the party of five behaves i don't think (laughs) we should say that a typical D &D player behaves that way i've I've played enough D &D. this is how this thing is going okay (laughs) (laughs) i like the way you think (laughs) check that that checks out there was I put my note that I put down for this is like, oh, they're breaking the lore a little bit that she like, I couldn't even finish typing. They're breaking the lore before they course corrected their own lore break, like that she's attacking a guy who's not unfaithful. Then he calls her out on breaking the lore and she goes, nah, dudes are dicks. Like that was her ghost justification for it. I'm like, <laughs> right. That seems, that seems like a pretty big, you know, spectral loophole there. Yeah. Well, I thought she was saying like, she's going to rape him. Yeah. So he would then he would then be in, unfaithful. Make him unfaithful. Yeah, yeah. That she was going to make him unfaithful. That's how I interpreted. It. She was going to give him a ghost hand job, and then it was going to be all over for him. Now, now you're <laughs> eligible. Now it turns into scary movie. <laughs> the other thing I've got down here is like so. Yes, yeah, Sam sh- or Dean shoots the ghost, and later on we will very quickly establish that they have rock salt shotguns <laughs> specifically for ghost shooting. But I'm pretty sure he's just using regular bullets in this particular case. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was doing nothing. Yeah. And, and Sam calls him out on it. Just shooting out his window. Yeah. Like, he's, like, yeah. he's like, why were you shooting the ghost? Yeah. Yeah, and th- yeah, that's another case where there's like a weird lore, like, okay, what the fuck was that? That they call out in their own script a couple of beats later. So I will give them points for being consistent on that, which kind of goes back to the, what the fuck does an LSAT score? They, they do a decent job clarifying their own loopholes within the script the boys get head back out on the road we find out the dad is headed to blackwater ridge colorado sam wants to go back to make his interview dean drops him off sam lays down on the bed blood drips and we get a glimpse of jessica before she bursts into flame dean rushes in sam heads back out they resolve i think to to go forward and we close with a trunk arsenal close, which was a a pretty decent closing shot for our first episode. Would you consider Jessica's death a fridging? Yeah, it is. Um, A what? I would have to ask the question of what is a fridging? Ah, yeah. So the, the trope is called women in refrigerators. So early on in the second, in the new Green Lantern in the 90s, when Kyle Rayner came on as Green Lantern to replace Hal Jordan, he had a live-in girlfriend who was aware that she was Green Lantern. She is murdered and then her corpse crammed into her refrigerator as shock value by a villain who finds out Kyle's identity. And Gail Simone 
extremely talented comic book writer who's written a ton of, of great stuff with Birds of Prey and a number of other books, kind of called it out as like, hey, this is a, another example where the death or assault of a woman is used for narrative value to empower a male hero. And it, it became kind of a, a red flag for, hey, don't, don't write women into your stories just to kill them, to give your dude an angsty reason to go be an adventurer. And I think that's pretty clearly what the circumstance that's, that's kind of set up here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Jessica has no other personality other than to be hot and supportive of Sam. And then she gets killed in our first episode, which is what drives Sam forward on his, his quest to for vengeance. Yep. Not going to take that test now. Mm -mm. That kind of brings us to the, the uh, close of the recap. I do want to hit real quick then on our, our monster of the week. So our, our woman in white is, is obviously a ghost and we are going to have to do a lot of different homebrewing and conversions of ghosts as they pop up through it. Cause ghosts do pop up. Demons pop up a lot. In addition to kind of crafting either a homebrew version of a ghost, that's a little bit more spot on for the scenario or a, encounter scenario a pattern around that ghost i think we'll be kind of tweaking monsters here and there as we get into this or even potentially popping up npcs and what we'll do is what we come up with here i will convert into notes and then post in the patreon feed for patreon supporters so the the ghost here in this particular case is actually not only is she a woman white she's actually a is lalorna which is mexican folklore about a spurned woman a woman whose husband cheats on her who then kills her kids and commits suicide so the woman in white has a presence globally as as a legend of women ghosts dressed in white who haunt different roadways. But the Lolorna legend is very specific that it is a woman who was spurned, who, who murders her children. Ability-wise, she doesn't seem to have the possession abilities that you would typically see in a 5e ghost, but she does have... I would say that, you know, when I was a young boy, I grew up in little town in Kansas and my grandparents lived in an even smaller town in Kansas and, and we are Hispanic and we were having a family reunion in this small town where my grandparents lived and they lived like 50 feet from a train track and my uncles decided to tell all of us nieces and nephews one night about the lady in white who travels up and down the train tracks where her son was killed and and she was looking for him. Uh, she couldn't stand the grief, so she killed herself from that tree right there as they pointed to the tree in my grandparents' yard. Uh, oh, no. and, yeah. And uh, so now she travels back and forth on these train tracks in front of the house. So you got to be careful about going near the train tracks. And I was just like, I, I, I never wanted to go back to my grandparents' house after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and before you get into, I just, I do want to have one ask. So I have not watched as much Supernatural as some of you. I've only watched like the first four or five episodes ever, really. Hey, me and you both, buddy. But I do know, and as I've heard from other people who are huge fans, that apparently somewhere along the lines, we discover that, that Sam has powers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So after watching this first episode again and knowing what happened to his mom when she was in the room with him and then seeing what happened to his girlfriend when he was there, I my first inclination as some of anybody who's ever listened to their Friends and Flayers podcast knows my character's one fatal flaw is jumping to conclusions 
So instantly I jumped to the conclusion that this is happening because of Sam. That is a potentially good observation. That is a, a very astute potential prediction for the future, but with, okay. with you, you and Jazz being our our fresh set of eyes, I don't want to, I can neither confirm nor deny right. your <laughs> suspicions, I mean, I'm my looking friend. forward to figuring this out as we go, but yeah, yeah I just well, have a feeling there's something know, and there. That's, and that's one of the things that, you know, I, when I originally thought of this, hey, let's do this and this can be the kind of D&D hook for it. I thought it would be a lot more monster of the wiki throughout the first couple of seasons before they got into serialized storytelling. But that, that isn't really the case. They start to get into more serialized aspects really right from the very beginning, which is why there will be some times where we, instead of just doing a write up on, on a monster, we're actually working out of, okay, this is the, this is the encounter or story or plot hook kind of adventure hook that we can, we can put together based off of this episode. Cause sometimes the monster of the week doesn't necessarily fit. I don't think there's really a single throwaway element in this pilot, which I think is unique for, for a pilot. Um, there, you know, we establish the, the family hunters, we establish the mom's death, which comes up quite a few times in a surprising number of different ways. Mm-hmm. We establish their, their relationship with their, their dad and his, his issues, which is a running thread through the, the first couple of seasons. We, you know, we establish a number of kind of world building and ways to deal with, we deal with the supernatural. So yeah, they, they managed to carry a lot, a, a lot of the stuff that's established in this episode f- uh, forward. So, yes, keep that in mind. So, bopping over to Ghost real quick. Ghosts in 5E, yes. their abilities, primarily we're talking, is the, they've got the withering touch, etherealness, horrifying visage, and possession. I would say right off the rip that this particular spirit, if we were, if we were doing a homebrew version of Lalorna, the creature in this episode. She's definitely a ghost. We get a glimpse of horrifying visage, but I don't think that ever pops up. I would, I would say, I don't necessarily know that they have, she ever produces that fear effect. Yeah. She just kind of like flashes when he's shooting at her at some point, I think is when I remember. Right. I, right? I would say she, to me, I would say she did try horrifying visage. She just failed on both failed. of them. Mm. Yeah. Or they both succeeded, I should say. But does she pull it up any anywhere else in the in the episode? Like, does she she doesn't ghost face out on that other dude earlier? No, she Not doesn't. That we see no. Yeah, right. it probably happened off screen. the The other thing is the withering touch. So the withering touch ability, as it's written in Five E, is just a forty six plus three necrotic damage weapon attack. But I thought it could be argued that. It had uh, what she was doing had elements of a specter's specter's touch wasn't only painful; it also drained the life energy from creatures, which had an invigorating effect on the specters. Uh, well, no, I'm take I take it back. In this case, is a specter would if you get killed by a specter, you get turned into another specter. It just had a little bit more, I think, of a physical element than I was that I was originally thinking of. That I thought maybe that she had. A, another undead touch that that maybe would cross over to. Hmm. Are you guys are you guys cool was with it more the withering like a life touch? drain or was it uh... like something that has like a constant or turn by turn effect until you release yourself or something? Yeah, it's it's more. It was kind of a grapple because she's sticking her hand into mm-hmm. 
into his chest. And I think if, if she doesn't get dispersed, he's very clearly grappled in that scenario, right? Yeah. I wouldn't say he's grappled necessarily because grapple is going to stop you from um, like actually from moving your movement, right? Like he technically could have moved I, more. I would go with like something more like paralyzed or like that. Okay. Does that make so, sense? What about, um, I mean, it almost seems more to me like to me, like it was like a chill touch. Yeah. Uh, I can I can see where he's going with Chill Judge. So I kind of put her more in my mind, like even before, um, like actually looking anything up, I was thinking that she kind of reminded me of a specter. And I know they've got that uh, that life drain where they can yes. actually like rip straight from your constitution. Yeah, yes. that maybe that's the one that I, yes. that I was going for because I started yeah. to get into. <laughs> I can't stand you. Yeah, that is the one that I was thinking of. So yeah, the specter. The specter action, life drain, melee attack. But see, this is why I backed off of that is if you're killed by a specter, then you get turned into a specter, right? Or is that not present in 5e? Uh, life drain, melee attack, plus four to hit. A one must uh, does 3d6 necrotic damage. DC 10 constitution saving throw or have its hit points maximum reduced by an amount equal to the damage taken until it finishes a long rest. The creature dies if it reduces the hit point maximum to zero. I guess they took that away. I guess they took away that... The getting turned into a specter thing. Yeah, getting turned into a specter thing. Because that's definitely that's definitely a big component of undead in earlier editions, where if, like, specters and whites and a couple other things where... And uh, if you get killed by them, you turn into one of them. So, all right. So running back through the ability uh, ability block, then we've... Uh, ethereal sight i don't see any reason not to say that she would have that in incorporeal movement she definitely had mm -hmm. do we want to change withering touch to chill touch for these purposes or, uh or to life drain life drain okay so we're gonna yeah i think life drain makes more sense okay we'll do life drain similar to a specter etherealness i don't see any reason to take that away horrifying visage we're going to keep that after discussing it possession i'm going to say She's got possession, but she doesn't possess people. That this particular right. this particular ghost possesses inanimate objects, almost similar to a poltergeist. But I th I think keeping that, just modding the possession ability to to have it focus on inanimate objects to be able to animate them to attack. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, and then advantage on attacks against unfaithful bards. Uh, give give her a, give her like a charm, I guess, or some, some what type of maybe advantage on persuasion. Mm. Yeah, that I would definitely say there was a pers there's a persuasion element to her their mo that they approach travelers on the roadside and are men on the roadside or women on the roadside that are in a relationship and then attempt to persuade them potentially with advantage. It, 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 she didn't ever really seem like there was a mind control piece of it, but I do think. I do think if she is able to seduce the victim that we give her advantage on their attacks against that victim. Yeah. And then is there anything else that we want to kind of bake into this variant that we want to bring the kids in at all? I don't necessarily think that's necessary for a woman in white, but if we nah. are doing a, a full on Lorna conversion, then having a sight 
a geographic location where she committed her crime, which damned her to undead existence, would be an interesting element because then that would be tied to being able to take her out permanently. Mm. I couldn't I couldn't think of anything that would be like an equivalent within D&D. Like the closest thing my brain comes to is a phylactery, and that's not that's definitely not what those were. No, yeah, no, that was that would be. I, I do think if you're writing an encounter scenario around this, like if you're doing like a little woman in white encounter scenario, that having having the the house where having the adventurers go to the house where the crime occurred is an element, and then you certainly could tie the ghost encounter with her dead children into that piece of it. But I don't, I don't think it's necessarily for the undead monster as a, for the woman in white at homebrew that we're doing in this particular case. Do we, do we want to add like the, the supernatural kind of uh, staples of like iron and salt with ghost? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, I think if the mission statement here is we are going to D and DFI the show, then yeah, we would want to bring in, Salt as a barrier. Do we want to do? Because you could do, you could do, you could do iron and salt temper, like sends them to the uh, ethereal plane for a round. Yeah, mm. turns on their etherealness. Got yeah. it. Yeah. What about if we're going to do that? What about incorporating destruction of of the body as part of a way to defeat? Yes, I like that. I like that as well. Yeah. So I just remembered and read back over the last note I put on here was that a DM was setting up, uh, setting up the PCs for failure. This was a no combat win encounter where the PCs were too low for the monster. So he set up the, uh, the kids in the house and the option to either, you had the option to either take the ghost in the house if you figured that part out or just go and destroy the corpse, but you shouldn't be fighting this ghost. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> This this was not something they were supposed to be fighting straight up, which is why uh, Sam would have been making fun of Dean for trying to shoot it. Like, what what are you doing? <laughs> if we were doing a full write up of a encounter scenario, if I do a full write up of an encounter scenario, which would require me to draw a haunted house map, which probably <laughs> would prevent us from doing that, then yeah, then you would set this up to where if some level ones were doing this, if this was a level one adventure, they like you like don't. Don't fucking fight the ghost. Every time the ghost pops up, run away. Here are your two ways to solve this problem. I just always get worried about setting up scenarios like that because God love PCs, but man, they're always going to fucking fight. <laughs> like, I, I mean, you know, discretion is definitely the part, better part of valor. And, but, and it's, it's not just the party of five. It's just kind of the nature of, like I took, I just recently took my team at work through their first D&D session ever as, as kind of our quarterly team building thing for, for COVID. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to make these guys play D&D for our, for our team building and recorded. And th- these are people who have n- not a single one of them had ever played D&D before. Bloodthirsty as fuck. Every <laughs> single one of them were like, let's fight. And before we were like, oh yeah, dudes are like that. No, predominantly like 80% women two dudes and every single one of them was like yes let's kill it kill it with fire so hey, hey, hey that's 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 one of those things uh i had to bring my brother into one of these supernatural things he's he's watched it all too and he's a dm but 
he'll he'll teach you real fast. Sometimes the answer is run. He will <laughs> he will he will let you learn that lesson the hard way. Your brother is why Jazz has PTSD. And is, is why, because when I was describing the podcast the other day, I was like, man, the guy who plays the wizard is either great at playing a character who's inherently a coward or has PTSD for some really hardcore DM shit in previous campaigns. And I think it's a little bit of both. Absolutely a little bit of both. I'll, I'll admit that. That's fine. Now, granted, our, our current campaign is not, it's not just my brother it's also the campaign itself and we're we're playing it on hard right yeah. It's- yeah, as, a, as a group we chose to play it on hard mode so some of the some of the dying i've done has been my fault for sure <laughs> only some of the dying that i've done has been my fault when the d when the dc for death saves is a 15 oh shit yeah <laughs> and, and, and let me note let, let me note because I can literally say that only some of the dying has been my fault. Anthony sprung a trap on my second character <laughs> and it had only been in the game five minutes and it insta-died. <laughs> and, then we le- and then we left that dungeon. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> As anybody who's played first edition knows, like you're, you used to have a saving throw against Death Ray. Like that shit was right, like Death Ray. And if you failed that saving throw, you there are so many traps in first edition. Like, yeah, there's a poison needle trap. If you fail your saving throw, you die. Welcome <laughs> to the game. Play another character. Like, and, and that's and that goes back to why all the like Gygax and all those guys ran multiple characters when they were playing because of how fucking fatal the game was. Which is yeah, it's it's a a very very different. And one of the things that I wanted to you know was spitballing for kind of genre episodes down the road for for gimme to loot was a time travel episode where you guys went back in time to first edition okay. but uh dungeons and daddies beat me fucking to it and they actually they actually do that and do it really well i actually just like, hit that episode so they they beat me to the punch on that one so we we won't be doing that at this particular time but we may do the occasional scenario in older editions as bonus content as we kind of get down the road on this so cool all right so to wrap up then real quick, guys, just to go back through what our what our woman in white is, abilities are, we're saying she's got she's got life drain instead of withering touch. She keeps horrifying visage. Her possession is targeted at animated uh, at animating physical objects to attack. She has a weakness to salt and iron that re- causes her to go ethereal. She then uh, also has advantage on persuasion checks to try and seduce people and if she seduces you that gives her advantage on attack rolls and is can be killed by finding her corpse salting the bones and burning the body is there anything i missed on that sounds great all right well cool guys i really appreciate everybody kind of jumping on board awesome does anybody have anything but when we wrap up okay mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i, I, I... I wrote how to I, I wrote how to get into this thing. I didn't write how to get out. So. <laughs> and that's all. No. Uh, hit them with the. Uh, is that is it? That's all, folks. Was that was that W? Was that Warner Brothers? Uh, that is that is Warner Brothers. Okay, cool. Well, that in that case, that wraps up the premiere episode of Hunter's Party, the supernatural recap podcast with a D and D twist. Once again, uh, check out. I will post links in the show notes below to everybody who participated's Twitter. 
check us out on social media. Check out uh, Gimme the Loot. Uh, if you're hearing this, you probably already have. And we'll be seeing you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>